Eagles Entertainment. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the Eagles are on the bye week as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 417. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a guy who's been on this show before. He does outstanding work over at The Athletic. That's Deontay Lee. He's going to pop in and we're going to talk through this Eagles team on both sides of the football. What is he seeing from the film? What is working well? What can push this team over the top? Uh, this 6-0 team, uh, take them to the next level. We'll talk through it right at the top of the show there in Chalk Talk. After that, both the two of my good friends, Ben Fennell, Chris McPherson, the three of us are going to get together for the first time since training camp for a special edition of our three and out segment. Each of us are going to provide three key stats that help tell the story of this Eagles team through six weeks and dive into what they mean for this franchise moving forward. Should be a really fun discussion to kind of to wrap up the show. Now, before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question about this team, leave it there in the comment box. We'll answer it. We actually have one we're going to answer here later in the show. Also, before we get going, uh, I've got a segment I want to make sure we tease here. Uh, I know that a lot of our listeners always love when we're able to get Jeff Stoutland and the Eagles offensive line coach and run game coordinator into the film room to kind of talk through it, watch some tape, break some plays down. Well, he is my guest this week on Eagles game plan for tape study. Saved a chunk of that piece just for you here. Here's offensive line coach Jeff Stoutland, a piece that you can find the entire segment on Eagles game plan. Coach, welcome into the show. We really appreciate you joining us here for a few minutes to talk through this Eagles offensive line. Thanks, Franny. I won't only talk about the offensive line. We'll provide uh, some scheme, schematic stuff, and, and also some of the mindset behind some of these concepts. I use a phrase called execution fuels emotion. You watch Devante here. This is the kind of stuff that we're talking about when we, when we speak like this. You see the excitement and the enthusiasm based on a well-executed play, that's the kind of reaction you get from a player. It's got to be exciting too, Coach, as the the wide receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, everybody involved in the screen pass, everybody involved in the run game. So you know, hey, on this play, I'm going to be the one blocking, but I'm also going to be catching screen passes, and these guys are going to be helping me out as well. Absolutely. it's 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 all We're all in on this. It's a, You have to be in football. That's the way it's the greatest game in the world. When we do this type of stuff is when we slide the, the, the front, okay, like you're seeing, this creates tremendous space right here on Jordan Mulata, which is dangerous. It's like your mom says, don't touch the stove when it's on. You know, it's dangerous. This is dangerous. Now, we know this and we understand this. And so as soon as Mulata gets this up and under move, he's hearing my voice in meetings. He's hearing my voice on the field. It's dangerous. You must be on high alert for this type of action. So you see him here come back and you see the sense of urgency in him trying to snatch this defender so he can't get through. Coach, what has it been like coaching a guy that had played zero football coming into uh, his NFL career and just what he's turned into? Well, you never know. Like, you don't know. I just know this. Jordan is is a tremendous athlete, okay, for a guy that's his size and for how he can move his feet. I mean, look how he doesn't fall on the ground here. Look how he's still able to maintain his balance to the very end and somehow pull himself out of this. You see him at the end. Right there, you think he's going to fall down. Right there, you'd say he's on the ground. Mm. 
I mean, this guy's unbelievable to be able to pull himself out of this thing. So what I call, I talk about critical factors and often I, I, I talk about it all the time because it's really the, the, the life you live as an offensive line coach and in a scouting department because we're looking for these types of things in players. But when you find a player with this size and all these different critical factors, but's never played football before, you oh. say, hmm, let's look. And Mr. Laurie would always say to me before the draft, Stout, look down the road. Tell me what you think in three years. What could this player be in three, four? It's very helpful when you hear that from the owner. Because hmm. actually, when you do that with this player, you see some greatness. It was a similar kind of conversation with Lane, right? Lane was a different part of the draft, fourth overall pick, but a guy that was still relatively green to the offensive line position. Correct. And there's another example of, hey, played tight end, quarterback, wide receiver, played, uh, yeah, might as well have played wide receiver, played tight end. So he played several positions, really never settled into one until he, he got to Oklahoma and played tackle and and so maybe people looked at that and said, ah, he didn't play tackle on. We look at it a different way. We look at it as opportunity. We look at it as, as it as, hey, this, what can he become in three or four years down the road? It obviously has turned into uh, arguably the best tackle in the NFL. I know Mike Quick has said on the show, you, you almost don't want to take it for granted how good he has become because we, don't, we never talk about him on a weekly basis because he has just locked that spot down so well. I've been saying that for years. I don't understand why people aren't talking about him, but he's incredible. Just not his athleticism, but his technique and how he and how he maintains square shoulders and how he can glide back inside and not create a bad situation for the right guard. You know, him and Isaac are working together. So I think that's a tremendous combo right there in itself. The two, the athleticism right there between the right guard and tackler. Uh, like unbelievable and coach those guys have barely played next to each other uh, coming into this season what has that been like for them just getting used to playing next to each other up front I thought there was excitement from day one because they mm. both have tremendous respect for each other and I think they they thought to themselves hey we're together what we could become and the, the communication the execution up front uh, you see that often in the screen game we talked about that a little bit earlier but uh, what makes this play go this was early on uh, against the Cardinals in week five well first of all the communication starts with Jason Kelsey Jason Kurt Kelsey is the conductor of the band and you know what to be that guy you have to embrace that you have to really like this whole process if you're timid or you're you're not really like in, uh, it's too much uh, then you're not the right guy for the job mm. kelsey embraces this he gives so much of himself to his teammates and all he wants to do is put everybody in the right spot even in game plan meetings he wants to make sure everybody's in a good spot and so it all starts with him with the communication aspect of it but then it comes down to timing Screens are all about your timing and your decision that you make. Some guys don't rush. If you don't rush, what do I do, coach? I don't release. I block. And whoever whoever the appeal player is, you become part of the screen. So here you see a situation where our left tackle, Jack Driscoll, who went in to play left tackles, never played left tackle before, mm. but we needed him. He's never played on the left side of the line before, but we needed him. Did an outstanding job, tremendous job by Jack with a very limited time to practice. But you see this screen right here, and Jack knows this. And here's the issue. Stop that, please. Stop it right there. Here's what happens, Franny. Uh, you go out to practice. You practice against the scout team. You practice against scout walkthroughs, what have you. When this play is executed, this is my pet peeve forever. I say it all the time. People look at me, I as a grumpy old guy. I'm telling you, this is what happens. So I tell the players, listen to me. <clears throat> this is a this, this is like Coach Saban would say, it's poison. It's rat poison. Okay. The guy that stays back here, maybe in a drill or whatever, and then the player goes like that down there to block him. Not gonna happen. In real life, <laughs> that's not what happens. <laughs> but I can't explain it to him. I have to say, look. 
But now I got a video, and I also have Jordan Mulata springing a touchdown in the Atlanta game last year with the same play. So what's really going to happen, even though you're not going to see it here for a while, is that player is going to react to the screen, and he's going to bolt down to the throw. So in, in reality, your angle has to be flat which you see Jack running flat down a white line with a huge sense of urgency. So credit to Jack. He listened about my little dissertation in the meeting. <laughs> and again, for that whole segment, be sure to watch Eagles game plan this week. The entire Jeff Stoutland segment also will go up on its own. Love catching up uh, with Coach Stout whenever possible. And he, as always, brings outstanding energy to those segments, to those conversations. So uh, great stuff there from Coach Stout. Let's keep this conversation rolling, though. Excited to catch up with Deontay Lee. Talk through this Eagles team going into the bye. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to welcome back to the show here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, uh, a guy whose work is outstanding. You need to make sure you are following him right now on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. He does outstanding work over at The Athletic. He's been on the show before. Deontay, welcome back to the show. Excited to uh, have this conversation going into the bye week. Yeah, same here, man. I'm glad that you brought me on. This is obviously a great time to be talking Eagles as they kind of stand at atop the NFC and one of the best teams in the NFL right now. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to kind of digging into what we're talking about for a team. I think that's really going to start looking to extend their lead, not only on the NFC East, but really start thinking about whether or not this can be a home field advantage throughout the playoffs type of team. No doubt. I, that absolutely will be in the conversation, uh, certainly locally, uh, as the, the this season continues to progress. But uh, going into this bye week, real quick, just to kind of tee the conversation off, what's the goal of the self-scouting process? What does that process look like uh, as a coach during the bye week? Uh, you could speak uh, to this from experience. Right. Um, I, I like to think of it like you're always going to be looking at any self-scout situations. What are the things that are allowing us to win or putting us in position to win? And then what are the things that are costing you games or costing you, you know, key situations? So I think that, you know, and you kind of take a multi-layered approach to that in my mind. So you're going to look at personnel, right? So if you're Philadelphia, you're going to look at what kind of touches are we getting for AJ Brown and Devontae Smith? Do we need to improve that? Are there different ways in the game script that we can address certain things? And I'm sure that as we go through this conversation, we'll probably, you know, prognosticate some ways that they might attack something like that. You know, on the defensive end, it might be what's our best run stopping defense? What's our best coverage calls? Or what are we struggling with? You know, if you're a cover one team and you're giving up a bunch of explosive plays, you're going to want to go and look and see, all right, is it just a particular player covering particular kinds of guys? Are there particular routes that we're struggling with? Um, do we need to change some things in terms of coverage or pressure? And then, you know, if you're really aggressively looking to improve, let's say you're maybe struggling a bit with a certain thing that might be true to your philosophy that you might have to break from, that's when you kind of put your quality control staff to work, right? And you say, hey, can you go and look at every team's, you know, 20-yard passes out of 11 personnel? We want to go look look and see what we can take from the league um, that, that's working around the NFL and kind of uh, put that into what we're doing or show me all the six-man pressures that teams are getting sacks and QB hits on across the league. And then you might try to implement something like that. So it's all about not only what are we doing, what can we approve on, but what's happening around the league, what's happening with our rivals, what are the different ways that we can start preparing ourselves for these high leverage games that will be coming up on the back half of the season. 
Uh, and like you said, I think throughout the course of this conversation, we'll kind of hit on some of those notes, some of those examples uh, you alluded to. Now, every week here on the show uh, for the second episode, I'll always kind of tap into the opposing market. We call it faux focus. And we say, all right, we're going to put your offensive coordinator hat on, put on your defensive coordinator hat on. So I thought I would take that outline, that structure, the bones of those conversations and bring it here since it's more self-reflective. And so I want to kick this off by asking you to put your Shane Steichen hat on. You're the Eagles offensive coordinator going into the bye week. What is your idea of the biggest strength for this team based off what you've seen on film? What gives you the most confidence going into the the next uh, set of this season? I would say that a lot of it is probably something that they expected this year, right? Which is that they can be multiple and versatile in their run game with their personnel, with the different type of looks that they can create. Um, having a healthy and available Miles Sanders um, kind of allows you to do some different things. I think what we've seen from Gainwell this year has been productive and positive. And then obviously knowing what you have in terms of your signal caller as a runner, I think that they've really been able to lean into the RPO game setting up quarterback runs and quarterback runs setting up your regular old handoffs. So I think that they found a really good marriage of the different ways that they can put stress on defenses. I think we saw it uh, in the Sunday night game, right? Some of the RPO stuff that they were able to do, you know, you think about that touchdown to Devontae Smith on that hitch flat RPO that they've been running basically all year long. Um, The different ways you can set up, you know, these screens to Dallas Goddard off of these play play fakes and things like that. So I, I think that that would probably be, you know, if you're thinking about hanging your hat on first down, we need, we were starting a drive and we need to start moving the football to be effective. I think that the first thing they're going to look at on their play sheet would be getting into these 12 personnel, you know, multi tight end looks where you can really hurt teams with downhill runs while also being versatile enough to hit the RPO or read an end or something to that effect. One of the things we always talk about this run game and just how multiple it is, how versatile it is. And I feel like we don't get into like why that is such a problem for defenses as a defensive coordinator. What does that mean when you go up against an offense that has so many different answers uh, to the, to the test, I guess, uh, in terms of the, uh, the offensive rushing attack? Well, it's that you can't lean into one particular answer defensively. Right. I think that we saw that in the Sunday night game. You know, one of the things that Dan Quinn likes to do is to get into those five down fronts, those bare fronts to try to stop the run. Well, what you want to do to attack that is run gap scheme, right? You want to run power, you want to run your counters, and you want to read ends to to keep guys from crashing down and chasing it down off the backside. And they have all of the equipment and tools that you need to do so, you know, and having one of, if not the top offensive line in the NFL this year that can be versatile. You have a center that can pull, you have multiple guards that can pull or zone block you have tackles that can handle one-on-ones you know and down block and have a lot of weight to them so i think that they have answers for that if you're a blitz heavy team you can run those rpos to throw the ball into those vacated areas um and then you know having a quarterback that can threaten you in the run game now means that you can't move as laterally you know as quickly as you might want to when you get these zone looks you can't get to the first level so quickly because if that end is wrong and his read or is too aggressive taking away the handoff you have Jalen Hurts, who is probably, you know, short of Lamar Jackson, maybe the most dangerous quarterback with the ball in his hands in open field because of the way that he runs, how physical he is and what he can create with his legs. Um, So that I think has been, you know, the kind of calling card and why it's so difficult for defenses to really walk into any one week feeling like they have things figured out. You know, you see certain running games and you can get into certain fronts and kind of take them out of the things that they do well. I think the most impressive thing and the most stressful thing for a defense is that, 
all right, if we show up in this kind of look, they have an answer for that. And they have an answer for blitzes. They have an answer for two high defenses for your regular old cover one stuff for your regular old cover three stuff out of four down. If you're an odd front team, they have answers for that. And that I think is always the key in the NFL. I think it's less about how much you can hit someone over the head with your best thing than not having any particular weakness. And I think this run game is one that does not have any um, obvious weaknesses right now. That's the thing is like, it's not just as surface level as all the, the run game's not working. We got to throw it's right. Oh, well, these run concepts aren't working. Let's dig into our back. Let's go option B then option C right. then option D you've got all of these different clubs uh, that you can kind of refer to. And that's obviously uh, a huge, huge strength for this offense. Now staying on that side of the ball, what, what is it that puts this offense over the edge? What are some adjustments that can be made over the course of the bye week, in your opinion, that would take this group to the next level? I think for me, and this is something that we probably haven't seen since the Sunday night game or, or Monday night game against the Vikings, and that's hitting teams over the top with explosive passes or really working that intermediate area in the middle of the field. Um, I think that the game against the Commanders was probably the last one where we really saw them attacking aggressively through the air. Um, I, I would like to see them get back to that. Obviously, you've had you know some nicks and bruises with the offensive line that I'm sure probably changed a bit of the way that they wanted to approach approach things on a week by week basis. But if they have all of their, if they have all their guys available, I would love to see more AJ Brown in those intermediate areas, the way that we saw him in Tennessee and the way that we saw him early in the season. Um, I think that they have one of the greatest luxuries in the world, which is Devontae Smith, a guy that can attack you at all three levels of routes, right? He can make plays after the catch. If he catches the ball near or behind the line of scrimmage, he can run routes well enough to get open in those intermediate areas. And he has a long speed to test you vertically. And I think that when you have, guys like an A.J. Brown, like a Devontae Smith, you should really be looking at how we can attack teams more um, often down the field to create those vertical passes. And I think that that kind of plays to Jalen Hurts' strength as well, right? Those deep pockets, max protection, we're trying to put together these zone, these design zone beating types of vertical looks. Those are the types of things I would like to see a little bit more from this offense that I think would really push it over the top. And it's like you said, you know, the when you have that that multiplicity with Devontae Smith and his usage, uh, it goes into the same conversation about the run game, right? It just gives you right. more options as a play caller, as a game planner to say, okay, uh, if the defense wants to take this aspect away, well, all right, well then let's go, let's go to the next option. And when you have not just Devontae, but AJ and Dallas Goddard, those guys, like all three can attack different areas of the field at different times from different alignments. Right. It's a it's a headache for an opposing defense. 100%. I mean, and that's not to say that they haven't been effective through the air right. because we've certainly seen that they can put teams away with the passing game just as well as they can with the running game. But I think that the more of this running game that we've been talking about, because the more it becomes an issue for defenses to handle, the more soft zone looks you see, the more big bodies you see on the field. And that's when you really see elite offenses take advantage with those vertical passes. And if you can do that as an offense, that really puts defenses in a bind, right? You're really forcing defenses to kind of choose what it is that they're going to prioritize in trying to stop because you can't cover everything and you can't stop everyone, every run with one particular look. And you really want to put defenses in a bind where, you know, Hey, I'm first down on second and short on third and regular, you know, we know we're going to get these particular looks because they've got to honor us in every direction. And when you can really that's the defense, you know, on a 360 degree plane um, that really makes it difficult for them to, to, to stop you. And I think that that's how we can maximize or how Philly can, can maximize uh, Jalen Hurts within this offense. Yeah, really, really well said. It's a lot to be excited about uh, for certain uh, on that side of the football. Let's now go over to, to defense. I'll ask you to put on your Jonathan Gannon hat on. Uh, what is the, the biggest strength for this unit going into the second half of the season? What gives you the most confidence there in the final 11 games? 
it's what they're doing on the back end, being multiple mm. in coverage, you know, having a full menu of zone coverages and how well they're able to play, you know, those zone coverages out, you know, bringing in a Chauncey Gardner Johnson and having a James Bradbury available. You always have the button you can press, which is playing straight man coverage across the board and feeling confident that everybody can handle their one-on-ones. Um, but to know that on early downs, you can play your two high looks, you can play your cover sixes, your quarter quarter halves, you can play straight cover four, you can play cover three and match in the seams and all those types of things. And you can feel confident that no matter what route concept you're getting, you have guys that are seasoned enough veterans that understand how offenses like to attack certain types of looks defensively. And you see them passing off routes you know, and and distributing these routes almost perfectly, you know, week in and week out. And that's how you're able to force those turnovers. And the fact that you have Darius Slay who can lock in and be a one-on-one, I'll take away your best guys. You can roll coverage the opposite way. That I think has been their biggest strength. And that forces quarterbacks to hold the ball, which has allowed for them to uh, create uh, more production in the backfield in terms of quarterback hits and pressures as the season has gone on. Yeah, I mean, you were you were all over this because I remember you and I did a podcast in the summer uh, getting ready for this season, and it was like the day after the Eagles signed James Bradbury, and you were excited and talking about it on the podcast about what that could mean for the secondary moving forward. And, and just to, with what you were saying just now, I reflect on, on that week six game Sunday night against Dallas, you know, first half, third down, you saw cover zero, you saw cover yep. one, we saw the the the, uh, the double br- the uh, double bracket that, that resulted yep. in the Slay interception. Uh, you saw cover four again. You know, just the the different the deep library or different coverages in different situations. It makes you less predictable from an offensive standpoint. Right. And it it makes it so that way you have an answer for a star receiver. We've seen that with Justin Jefferson. You have an answer for teams that want to get into like tighter splits or might want to run, you know, crossing routes and things like that. We saw that against Washington, you know, and Carson Wentz who's very, very comfortable throwing those mesh concepts, you know, or drive concepts where you've got drags and digs coming across the middle of the field. You can play zone with those guys in that way. Um, You know, with the Dallas team that wants to be like a very timing based kind of offense and one that wants to feed its star receivers, you can get into those bracket looks. You can get into those cover four looks where you're protecting the seams and really getting hands on guys underneath. And that's why they've been, you know, as successful in, my mind um, throughout this part of the season is that when they get to passing downs, you can legitimately go through your entire playbook and say, Hey, everything is available to us. Whatever is necessary to stop what the offense is trying to throw at us. We can do that confidently and not have to hold our breath and hope that they don't pick out some mismatch. And I think a lot of that is a credit to guys like TJ Edwards as well, you know, and what they have on the interior with these linebackers and in their ability to play zone coverage, to handle backs out of the backfield, you know, when they're playing at their best and when offenses can't check the ball down and hurt you with yards after the catch and you're forcing them to throw into what I believe is, you know, a a secondary full of at worst, you know, average to a, above average guys and some star guys across the board, it makes it really difficult. And that's why they've been able to take advantage of teams with these timely turnovers and uh, quarterback pressures. One buzzword with this defense was the the multiplicity uh, back yes. in the summer and all the different fronts up front. And you talked about from a, the coverage standpoint, but one thing we haven't really dove too far deep into here on this podcast is just the, the benefits of playing with those different nickel packages, right? You've got yes. your basic uh, like four down two two stack backer uh, five DB nickel, but then we've seen plenty of this five man front, that penny package where you've got five right. D linemen, just one backer on the field and five DBs. What are the benefits of kind of being able to mix and match between those two looks up front? Is it kind of and obviously like the front impacts the coverage as well. Right. What are some of the uh, uh, the factors at play there between those two different packages? 
it all comes back to some of the things we were talking about with the offense, right? And it's like, what answers do you need based on what you're seeing? Or how can you get your best guys on the field to be able to take away what the offense is trying to do to you? Um, I think that in those five down looks, um, and before we even talk about what those front guys are doing, I think that having not only what they have in terms of defensive tackles, but having Hassan Reddick, who is a guy who's comfortable dropping into coverage every once in a while, just as much as he is being a pass rusher. That means that you can legitimately use that as a base package if you need to, you know, or that sub nickel package that you can treat as a base type of look. So it's not that you have to get into like these five, one, five penny types of looks that we see these kind of three, four or multiple three to four down fronts get into to try to stop the run. You can legitimately get into that and not feel like, okay, we have to bring all five guys and just play like your three D three under, or your straight ahead cover one. You can legitimately play all your zone coverages out of it, or you can drop guys off the edge, or you can run these simulated pressure type of looks where it looks like you might be bringing five or six, but guys are dropping out late in the coverage. So that I think is one thing that that makes it dangerous for offenses in terms of prepping for is that it's not like a static look. And then up front with the bodies that you have with your Jordan Davises with Fletcher Cox, who I think is week over week continues to kind of show that he's still productive. Yep. And I think has been improving as the season has gone on in a way that's been really impressive given his age and experience in the league. Um, you know, Javon Hargraves as well and what they've been getting on the edge. I think that that when you get into these looks against these offenses that you're seeing that really want to run your outside zones and your inside zones, you're forcing them to block one-on-one. -on -one. And when you've got big body guys that can really handle those one-on-one -on -one situations, that puts you at an advantage defensively to be able to keep your second level defenders clean. And that is another reason why I think our linebackers have been, or Phillies linebackers have been playing well throughout the season is that they've been put more in situations as the weeks have gone on where they can get clean reads, be able to match the flow of the backfield and go make plays at or near the line of scrimmage. And that's why I think this run defense continues to grow week by week. Yeah, it's it, to me like the the usage. There's so many different layers uh, to that, and I, as you mentioned, uh, trying to find matchups uh, for those guys up front. And when, anytime you can get Fletcher and Hargrave and Reddick right. and Sweat and throw in BG, and you get all those guys uh, facing those one-on-one -on -one battles over time. Those are guys that are, have shown that they can win those one-on-ones, right. and I feel like that's been such a big theme here uh, early on in the season. Now, uh, wrap it up here with the same question I asked you for the offensive side of the football. What are the adjustments? What's the thing that can push this defense to the next level, some things that can be tweaked here and adjusted over the course of the break? I think it's just continuing to grow their run defense. That, that I think, is probably going to be the biggest picture uh, or the biggest thing. You know, I think that for teams, as they continue to scout Philadelphia, I think that there's probably going to be more of trying to set up run games um, similar to the way that Detroit did with all the multiple tight ends, you know, trying to really get downhill and put some strain on this defense, uh, this run defense, and whether or not these linebackers are going to be disciplined enough to be able to fit the run and deal with like those vertical kind of play action types of looks where you get your crossing routes, you get your deep digs and things like that. So I expect to see a little bit more of that from Philadelphia's opponents as the season goes on. And the best way to combat that is for your first level guys to win. And the more of your, and the more your first level guys win, the more available your linebackers are to drop into coverage. And the more you can stay versatile and multiple out of all of your personnel packages on the back end. And that's where everything kind of marries together because what we've seen from this team in terms of coverage lets you know that not only can they force incompletions, they can force turnovers. They make quarterbacks make bad decisions um, because of how tight they're playing in coverage and taking away guys as number one options. And now, and I think that has kind of fed the pass rush element. So I think the last thing, and it's not like it's been poor over the last three to four weeks, but I think that it's just continuing to develop and grow the more that they can do to be able to play out of these 
four two five looks where you can, you know, kind of get into these even down types of or even front types of uh, situations. And then the more you can get into the penny packages and saying versatile out of that that allows you to access a all of your personnel. So now you don't have to worry about whether Jordan Davis is getting enough snaps on the field, right? Because you're confident that you can hang in the back end when you have him on the field playing those odd looks and in your even stuff where you can do a little bit more um, in terms of versatility and coverage, you feel comfortable that if it's a light box type of look that you have guys that can handle that up front. You know, one of the things that I believe in on the coaching side for me is that your first level has to be first. Um, and for a team that is, I think, as back independent as it's been throughout the year, the growth that that we've seen, you know, spectating this team with what they're doing up front, especially on the interior, has probably been the most encouraging piece that this might be a legitimately elite defense and not one that's just kind of hot over the first two months of the season. Yeah, I think the way that they are playing, there there have been some uh, weird stretches in certain games. You referenced that Detroit game. Uh, certainly last week, you had those two drives, uh, yeah. you know, in the third quarter going into the fourth quarter. Um, but some of those things, if there's like, if the tackling, and we're going to hit on this in the next segment, if the tackling can improve in a couple different things, how much does that change the math uh, right. at the, in terms of like a final result and kind of boosting that defense from uh, where it is now to even the, the, the upper echelon uh, will be very, very interesting. But uh, Deontay, dude, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Uh, everyone, make sure you check out Deontay's work over at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, Deontay, thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me, friend. All right, so time now for a special edition, C-Mac, of our three and out, because it's not just you and I. But Invading we were, the segment, that's right, you know? We're, we're, we're bringing in Ben for a joint segment here, and it's the first time the three of us have done a segment together since training camp. And I thought, you know what? It's the bye week. I was thinking that Ben and I would do like a, a stat-heavy segment, but I was like, well, C-Mac and I usually dive into stats too, so let's just bring all of us together. So here's the plan for this week's three and out. Each of us are going to provide three stats and get out of the segment. We've got, I've got three different segments, three different kind of categories built in here, but we're going to make it an even 10. And I thought, all right, let's, let's talk through uh, 10 numbers that really help tell the story of the first six games that could impact the final 11 here in the regular season with this Eagles team. And so the first stat, I think this is just a big one. Obviously, it's one that's talked about a lot, so I wanted to just kind of bring it to the discussion to kind of kick us off. And that's the turnover differential. The Eagles right now lead the NFL with 14 takeaways on defense. They lead the NFL with just two giveaways on offense. Just a ridiculous plus 12 turnover differential. Two teams tied for second are Minnesota and Baltimore. They're just plus four. So the Eagles plus eight over the next two teams. Uh, and obviously that's a, a huge, huge reason why this team is 6-0, and C-Mac. It's amazing. It's a formula for winning football, bottom line. Now, turnovers, you know, that's something you really can't count on. But protecting the football, look, that's something that Coach Sirianni emphasizes. And that's something that you can feature each and every week as you're trying to look down the line and how this team can get to the next level. And, and there's two ways to look at this too, Ben, is that uh, obviously it's great that that's where the Eagles are now. It's also a very hard uh, model to sustain, right? You can't always count on having 13 turnovers in six games. That's not uh, a sustainable level of play. But I do think that there's something to be said for style of play leading to more turnovers. And I think this defense, the way that they play, leads you to being in position to create some of those takeaways. Well, I think the type of people that they have, obviously a lot of athletic, ball hawking, defensive backs on the back end, linebackers that thriving coverage, yep. some really good personnel uh, on the field to create those turnovers. But CMAC, I think you hit it right on the head there. It's not so much the plus 12. 
it's the only the two giveaways. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Which is also also first in the NFL, but way out in front. The next most giveaways or least fewest giveaways is five. Yeah. We have two. Yep. Several teams with five. So while it's not sustainable, and there's been many studies on college and the NFL, turnovers created are not a sustainable metric year yep. after year. Right. And really not even from like the front half of the season to the back half of the season, but preventing them are. Mm. So I think it's not necessarily hmm. that you're going to always expect to get your hands on those and turn the field, but you can certainly prevent them. And I think having smart players on the offensive side, the way Jalen Hurts plays, very smart, very responsible with the football, it all kind of works together in this team playing very, very efficiently. And at the end of the day, not hurting themselves. Yeah, I think like the the play that stands out as we're as I was listening to you talk, the first C.J. Gardner Johnson interception this past week. Uh, that's a tip ball from James Bradbury. Ben, you and I made the point as we were watching. There were five Eagles defenders there that could have very easily picked that off. Like Slay uh, wanted that one. Slay, you know, Slay <laughs> wanted it, but like T.J. Edwards was there. Yeah. Epps was there. You had guys all running into the frame that all were in position to catch that ball. So yeah. Like maybe that you can't say, oh, well, CJ Gardner Johnson had two picks in the game. Like that's not sustainable. Yeah. But that very easily could have been any one of a number of guys. And that goes back to the style of play and the culture in that room. And turnovers are one thing, but what are you doing when you get the turnover? Yep. If you Thank get a you. turnover on defense and the offense goes three and out, what good was that turnover? Yep. This Philadelphia Eagles team plus 39 point differential off turnovers. Wow. So yep. what is that saying? We're generating points and capitalizing off of turnovers. Making people pay. And, you know, we only had the, or the Eagles have only had the two turnovers offensively, but obviously not hurting themselves after those mistakes. And certainly you don't have the volume of mistakes. You won't have the volume of points coming after that. But the ability to not only turn an occasional pick and fumble into points yep. on that play, but the offense and capitalizing and being aggressive after those turnovers by Nick Sirianni, also a big formula. You want to take those shot plays, those kill shots, kind of after those uh, game-changing I'm plays. glad you brought that up. That was the thing yeah. that was, you know, as you were talking about the turnovers there, it was going through my mind. I was like, well, the Eagles are cashing them in. Yeah. That's the biggest thing there. Yeah, well, it's a, a huge, huge point. And just do it in a timely fashion because, like we said, it doesn't happen year after year. It's not sustainable, but it does happen. So when that perfect storm is in your season, like in 2017, this team was plus 51 in that category. That was tied for fourth in the league. They were plus 11 turnover differential in 2017. So even though you may be not sustainable year after year, you catch that lightning in a bottle for that one season, pull that throttle forward and say, hey, we can win it all. That's a, that's a really good point. And so uh, to me, I wanted to kind of kick the conversation off. That could be a little bit of the appetizer, wet our beaks a little bit. Uh, and now each of us will provide three in each of these categories. And the first category here our favorite stat going into the bye week. It could be just something that's telling about uh, the, the 2022 version, our favorite thing to see here with this version of the Philadelphia Eagles. And C-Mac, uh, since we uh, we brought Ben in to sabotage your segment, I thought you could <laughs> kick things sabotage. off for us. No, I, I'm loving it. All right, I get to kick things off here. The thing that jumps out to me is we talked a lot a few months ago about the defense and the turnovers. Now, the one thing when you look at the defense, a lot of new additions that have been assimilated into Jonathan Gantu this offseason. But when you look at the offense, quite honestly, largely the same except for a very big addition in that of wide receiver A.J. Brown. So, to me, all eyes on Jalen Hurts. How would he develop in his second year as a starter? A number that jumps out at me is his 8.2 yards per attempt, almost a full yard over what he accomplished last season. It speaks to me that 
The passing game overall has improved, not just because of A.J. Brown, but because of the leaps and bounds that Jalen Hurts has taken personally, and also how efficient this offense has run. And we've seen it against various types of defensive game plans throughout the course of the season. You know, if you're going to play soft zone like Minnesota, okay, Jalen Hurts can pick you apart. The commanders are bringing the heat. Well, Jalen Hurts was aggressive in beating teams deep. You know, if the Cardinals are bringing the blitz, he can go with the screen game and, you know, use the yak ability of Brown and Dallas Goddard to be able to take advantage. So to me, I think all eyes were on how would Jalen Hurts develop as a passer in his second season. We know the rushing element that he brings to the table. I think the 8.2 yards per attempt speaks to his improvement as a passer so far this season. Yeah, and I think, too, it's, you know, the, the yards per attempt, that can happen from a number of different ways, right? And, and the Eagles, we know that the screen game has been proficient. Uh, we heard from Deontay in the last segment about, uh, you know, we haven't seen as much downfield over the last three weeks. Well, the Eagles are finding ways to still lead the league in explosive plays. And so uh, whether it's the screen game, the RPO game, the short passing game, just finding all different ways to be able to attack opposing defenses and Jalen being smart with the football, that goes back to the turnover uh, uh, issue because that's a, a turnover stat as well as yards per attempt, more balls are, are being caught than not. More mm-hmm. balls are, are turning into positive gains than not. Yards after catch, the Eagles are very high up uh, on that list, and uh, the ability to create those explosives in a, in a number of different ways is a huge, huge uh, feather in this team's cap. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to turn the page over to ball control. And not the traditional ball control. Everyone thinks ball control, time of possession. Mm-hmm. Listen, time of possession is outdated. Let's get <laughs> a little more next level here on this podcast for our very smart fans out there. And ball control I love talking about because it's a complementative stat. Yep. It's all reflective of how your offense and defense, you know, uh, coordinate together. So let's look at three and outs. The ability to have three plays and off the field. We're second defensively in creating three and out percentage at over 41% and tied for first offensively in not awesome. having those three and outs. Wow. Tied with Atlanta right now, right around 20%. So the ability to control the ball on an offensive perspective and then immediately get the ball back from a defensive perspective, this team is absolutely dominating the ball control, but it's a complementative nature. The defense is doing its job getting off the field. The offense is sustaining drives. I think you're seeing that kind of showing games as well and their ability to kind of finish late as well. Uh, uh, to me, too, like for the defense to be so high with three and out and also lead the league in turnovers, like that, think about how many just quick, quick possessions the offense gets back because of those two stats. Absolutely. And one more layer to that is how is that offense – you know, moving the change because they're in third down situations frequently and Mm. you have to move the sticks. This team is not hurting itself. So when you just look at first downs, that critical down to set the tone for the drive, for staying on schedule, did you get into third and long situations? A lot of times you look at first down. Well, this team has the second most negative or no gain runs. Oh no, a lot of negative runs, a lot of behind the line of scrimmage runs may seem concerning to fans. We have a huge volume of runs, though. So we do have a a volume of plays that were stopped behind the line of scrimmage. But how far behind the line of scrimmage are they happening? Mm. So of those 25 runs that were behind the line of scrimmage, 22 of 25 of those were just one-yard losses. So on those negative plays, they aren't three-yard losses. They aren't five-yard losses. They aren't Miles Sanders trying to spin back across the field and get those home run plays, and suddenly it's a second and 15 scenario. There are negative plays, but they aren't critical plays. They aren't completely 
nuking the drive and the whole staying on schedule. So number one, I think it's an efficiency of the offense. Number two, just a lot of credit to Miles Sanders. No doubt. Running harder, running more physical, taking the dirty yards, running more efficient, finishing yards after contact. He has looked as good as he, as he has as a professional. I think you're seeing that on early downs where maybe it's not always perfect, but it's not completely negative and debilitating. And I think that's the important thing. The five, six yards runs are good. When it's not so good, zero and one yard runs are good too. And I think it's just getting out of those absolutely critical plays that just put you in out-of-schedule situations that we're not seeing this year. It's interesting that you bring up Miles because Shane Steichen in his press conference just before the Eagles took off for the bye made to point out, like, by the way, we need to give Miles Sanders his props for the way that he's performing this season because of Jalen and being the NFC Offensive Player of the Month in September, the wide receivers, and Goddard, he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. The offensive line, how great the run game is, but, you know, a big part of that run game is the way that Miles has played. And it goes back to the Jacksonville game, the ugly muck in the in the rain and mud. Jason Kelsey was like, Miles bailed us out on a lot of bad runs. There were a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities where the Jaguars could have pinned us back, given us those big negative yards. And, you know, he turned those negative plays into three, five-yard gains, which maybe, you know, don't illuminate on the stat sheet, but keep you out of these third and long situations, man. And for listeners that evaluate players and look at the game critically, give players, particularly young players, an opportunity to change. Please, thank you. That's and, a yes. and this is a lesson for myself, who somebody who was critical of Miles Sanders the previous three years in the summer, thinking one of the glaring needs of this team is to add a 225-pound downhill efficient running back because of what we've seen from Miles Sanders in the past, he has proven me wrong in 2022. And you have to give yourself an opportunity and the players you're talking about an opportunity to change. And that could go both ways, change and get better, or a guy that you absolutely love can change and get worse too. So these players change year after year, week after week, and we so want to just validate our opinions. It's not about you. It's about the player and give them an opportunity to be different maybe prove you wrong at times. And it's a lesson for me and credit to Miles Sanders. Yeah, I, I love that because I th- I feel like we get so ingrained into just, uh, you know, confirming our prior beliefs on players, teams, situations, anything. Like, you, you have to be able to take what's happening in the now uh, and add value to that. And speaking of change, uh, for my stat here uh, in this category, you know, one thing we saw from this Eagles defense a year ago, a year ago at this time, the Eagles were dead last in the NFL in blitz percentage defensively. And that was a, a big talking point with with fans, with media at this time last year. And we know that they adjusted uh, and course corrected. Now, this year right now, they're middle of the pack. They're 18th in blitz percentage. And uh, I am not of the belief that, oh, the, the, you, the more you blitz, the better, and that you need to just send, send more bodies at the, at the quarterback at all times. I don't think that that's the answer. There are plenty of examples in the NFL right now of teams that are high volume in blitz and get gashed on a weekly basis. So I don't believe that that is the answer. So finding that middle ground I think is so, so important. And so when you look at, all right, well, the Eagles right now are 18th in blitz percentage. Well, what are they doing with the, with uh, those opportunities? When they do blitz, where do, how, how effective are they? Well, uh, right now, the NFL, or in, in, the entire, in the entire NFL, the Eagles lead the league in opposing passer rating when, uh, when a quarterback is blitzed, 44.3. Buffalo is second with 65.2. The Eagles are crushing quarterbacks when they blitz. They are not finding success. They're not creating big plays. They're not finding the end zone. They're not moving the sticks. So right off the bat, 
opposing quarterbacks really, really struggling when the, when the Eagles send extra rushers. Also, 3.87 yards per attempt leads the NFL. Denver Broncos, who are playing really, really, really well on defense, they're, ne- they're the next one, 4.29. Again, a very wide chasm between number one and number two. The Eagles well out in front in terms of limiting offensive success when they blitz and second in completion percentage, just under 45%, Ben. I think your first point there saying it's not just blitz, 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 but being effective when you do yes. blitz is really the golden rule of this. And I think comparing it to some other teams in the league is a wake-up call because you can look at a team like the Miami Dolphins that's a blitz, blitz, blitz team. Well, they're getting burned, burned, burned this year yeah, by the blitz. Right. Crushed. So fans may be saying, yeah, we're aggressive, we're attacking. Well, they're getting whooped by yeah. the blitz. So I don't think it's just this foregone conclusions for fans to say aggressive, push the button, blitz, 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 to be effective and calculated when we blitz. That's what you're seeing from Jonathan Gannon in this scheme, which is exactly what you want. If you could get home with four, let's get home with four all day long. Occasionally sprinkle in those different looks to confuse quarterbacks. But if you're just blitz, 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 aggression, 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 that can have some downside too. But you can't just say, well, we blitzed, we're good. Well, the Miami Dolphins are blitzing, blitzing, blitzing and having some problems. So it's a definitely a balanced attack and making sure you're efficient when you do it. That's what we just talked about last segment with Deontay. That, that, that versatility is so, so important on both sides of the football. All right, so let's now get into uh, the second category of stats here, the second uh, triumvirate. This one is going to be our favorite yes, but stat where the Eagles say maybe they're really high or low in this category, but, and we keep keeping the conversation going, uh, Ben, I will let you kick this one off for us. Uh, your favorite yes, but stat so far. So I think games. we're seeing obviously Jalen hurts, uh, create a lot with his legs, both in structure, out of structure. I think, uh, in the non-structure, what we call the scrambling situations, it's been a little high this year, 5.6% scramble rate. That's third highest 25 scrambles in total. That's the second highest creating a lot of first downs, creating a lot of yardage off of that. But is that coming at the expense of the pass game, the expense of open receivers? Is he running a little prematurely? Well, actually, 55% of his passes are out under two and a half seconds. Mm. So it's a very interesting balance of taking off and running when I see free real estate or late in the down, but also very designed answers in the offense to get the ball out. And that 55% of passes out under two and a half seconds – that's only trailing Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. So it, I love the balance of saying, yeah, Hurts seems like he's a running quarterback all the time. But they have design point-and-shoot answers too. Yep. So I love the balance of the RPO game, the screen game, with his ability to be a mobile, play-extending quarterback. So I love just kind of the the balance of that, the vanilla chocolate styles of it all. Um, yes, are there a lot of those in-between three-and-a-half-second rhythm throws? No, it's a lot of quick game, two-and-a-half under, or four-plus second type of plays. Um, it's just kind of an interesting parallel to look at uh, with Jalen Hurts. And a defense having to prepare for that is very tough. I know we talked about that conversely, getting ready for the Arizona Cardinals, where you know no quarterback in the league had gotten the ball out in uh, two-and-a-half seconds or less more often than Kyler, but... He also had that ability to drop back and run around and make a play in 17 seconds. So I just did uh, for CBS two weeks ago, the Ravens bills game, right. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. He was talking with Charles Davis and those two premier quarterbacks that extend the play. He was saying all defensive coordinators say it's not the first three seconds in defending them. It's the last three, mm. but what Jalen hurts. What did I just say? You have to defend the quick game and the late down stuff. Yep. So it's a very tough conundrum for defenses that prepare for the, we better be ready and P's and Q's right off the ball. Quick game. 
but also buckle down for four, five, six seconds late in the down. It's a really tough mix and balance of offensive style. Well, when we t- talked about the Cowboys last week, they hadn't faced a quarterback like Jalen. Yep. Okay, so obviously they had success against Brady and you know Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford and all and the, all that, but no, they hadn't faced someone who can throw the ball and run it when need to at the same time. All right. So for, uh, I'm going to take the next one here. Uh, and again, this is our favorite. Yes, but stat. And so uh, the Eagles right now are actually last in the NFL offensively in shift in motion percentage. This is according to pro football. Okay. Okay. They're la- last in, last in the right. NFL, 34%, which is crazy that that's the low mark. The average, the NFL average is 54%. That, that number keeps climbing uh, every single year. Now, What's interesting is that, yes, they are low in that number. They are the lowest in the NFL. But when they use motion and when they use shifting, they are very, very effective. They are 12th in EPA per play on plays when they use motion. They are fourth in yards after catch per reception on plays when they use motion. So to me, this isn't a, oh, man, like they need, they need to use more motion. It's a, hey, they're doing a really good job when they do use motion discussion. And uh, I think when you look at uh, just ways that this offense is able to move the football, I think back to some of the plays we've seen in recent weeks. And, Ben, you always try and uh, mark this when you put together the, uh, the telestrations for, like, All-22 review and, and for Eagles game plan is like, yeah, look at what this motion did moving a second-level defender or moving the safety or moving uh, a guy from the – moving another defender from the box. What did that do? Well, it created a lane for, for the run game or for the pass game. This offense has been very efficient. When they have used motion, it's been a really good uh, weapon for them. We'll see if they decide to use more down the stretch. And, you, Ben, you and I have had many conversations on this show about how you know, everybody says motion, 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 as if that's the answer to making everything better, whereas <clears throat> there have been plenty of quarterbacks <clears throat> and offenses in the league that say – no, I want a little bit less motion, uh, and that's going to help cl- keep the clean picture for us. But, uh, yeah, this has been a very effective tool for this offense when they do use it. And a really good example of that, just go throw on your breakdown of Kaiser White this week. I think one of those plays in there, Dallas had a motion play pre-snap, threw off the blocking assignments by them. Yeah, You have movement on the offense, creates movement on the defense. Suddenly an offensive lineman blinks or puts their head down for a snap count. Suddenly your blocking assignment changed. Free hitter to go uh, swoop into the backfield. We saw Kaiser White. Pros and cons to motion, too, but two years running, 32nd rank motion rate. Yeah. I mean, to me, the Eagles varied run game. And uh, your all 22 piece that you guys put together was outstanding, you know, illustrating the counter read. It's those types of things put defenses in a bind. The RPO game puts defenses in a bind. So even though you're not getting uh, that confusion, that mayhem that motion could present, the way that Shane Steichen and, you know, Jeff Statlin and company scheme things up here. They do a lot of the work there to the defense without having to utilize motion. So, all right, well, see, uh, Mac, take us through yours. Uh, yeah. Your favorite yes, but stat. Yes, so but far. so the Eagles defense. Okay, you know, focus on the trenches, built heavily through there, an outstanding group there, added to it with Jordan Davis. As good as this defensive unit is, the defensive line, they are allowing almost five yards per carry. That's twenty seventh in the NFL. However. This was an interesting philosophical discussion we were having in the pit amongst ourselves this week. The pit being our workspace. Our by the work way. area. Our, our yes, listeners yes. don't know what yeah, the pit of course, is. Of course, of course, <laughs> the pit. The Eagles, you know, with the outstanding starts they're having, especially in the second quarters of games this season, they're having big leads in the second halves. It's how does Jonathan Gannon and the defense approach trying to balance maintaining the lead? and yet not giving up an explosive play to really shift the momentum quickly. So even though the Eagles 
are giving up a little bit of ground ground yardage here. Well, it's better that to me than an 80-yard touchdown pass, which all of a sudden, okay, it's a quick it's a quick score. You haven't taken any time off the clock. It's a momentum shifter. It, it kind of really creates a snowball effect there. If the team is willing down 10 points, 17 points, what have you, to run the ball and take five, six yards at a time and eat five, six minutes off the clock, all right, we'll, we'll take that. You know, yeah. We'll take that all day long there. So, um, so that's interesting that, yes, the Eagles – you know, the numbers-wise aren't great, but I think there's more context to it. I think there's something, you know, we talked about this after the week one game when everyone was freaking out about the run defense against the Lions, and they had a, a few X plays in the run game where it was like, you know, second and 12, third and 10, and they run a draw play for 23, and it's like, all right, like, hey, like, tip of the cap to you. Like, we're not, we're not planning to stop that play. Like, you're, we're going to give that to you if that's the way that you're going to try and operate. Um, and it hasn't always been that every, every single week, and I'm going to touch on this topic here in a second. But I, I think we've seen plenty of that that kind of throw – that does skew those numbers just a little bit. So I, I was glad that you brought that one up, C-Mac. Um, with that said, let's now transition into our third category here. And this one, small sample size or is it a telling stat? And so this one, honestly – this has been like a, something I've been waiting for the bye week to get to dive a little bit deeper into because oh I notice it on a weekly <laughs> basis. So uh, during games, when I'm watching, I'm tra- I'm only charting a couple things getting ready for the postgame show. And one of the things that I do chart is third down on both sides. What are teams doing on third down schematically? How effective are they being? Who's being targeted? All those different things. So uh, I look at it on both sides of the ball. And one thing, you know, so at halftime, I'll take a look and say, all right, where, where are we at? Let's get a, a kind of state, a state of where uh, both teams are at on third down. And almost weekly, third down defensively, first half, Eagles are awesome. They're like one of five, two of six. And I'm like, all right, like they're, they're a really, really good start. And then you get to the second half, it's post game. I'm like, man, the opposing, oh, they, they, the, the offense turned it around. They're, the opposing offense turned around. They went four for five. Oh, they had a drive where they went three for three. And they're just like, man, all right, well, that threw the numbers off. And now they're mediocre. And so, just going back, I was talking with Ben this week. I was getting ready for the podcast, and I was like, all right, let's see where the NF- where the Eagles are right now on third down uh, in the uh, overall of the course of the season. And they're 29th. And I'm like, all right, well, that's not good. Right? That's obviously not, not very good. Then you look, what are they in the first half? C-Mac, they're second in the NFL right now on third down in the first half of games, 27%. Outstanding number. You go to the second half. They're at 62.2% on third down. That is last by like a wide margin. The 31st team is 55, so seven percentage points higher uh, than the 31st team. So I'm like, all right, we got it. Let's let's try and get to the bottom of this. So first, I go back. I watch all the second half third downs. I don't really have like a feel. It's a lot of like individual like kind of random plays. I'm like, all right, let's kind of dive into the numbers and also kind of think like, what would you know? You you've uh, seen reactions from Eagles fans plenty, C-Mac, and you know the, this media market well enough that all right, what are the what are the narratives? We're gonna take a walk down narrative street. What are the different things that people would say about why the third down defense is worse in the second half than the first half? Oh, they're playing looser coverage. All right, let's go to the, let's go to the numbers on that. No, they're playing basically the same amount of press coverage first half, second half. Contested <laughs> target percentage basically the same first half. Second second half. That's not it. They don't change the coverages at all. Maybe a little bit of a change, but nothing that's like a huge, huge difference. Are they blitzing less? Oh, they're playing softer coverage. They're blitzing less. It's a very slight drop, but they're still middle of the road between first half and second half. So it's not the the blitzing. Less pressure? No, they actually are getting more pressure on opposing quarterbacks in the second half than they are in the first half of games. There was one thing, one big number that stood out to me from uh, from first half to second half. Right now, first half of games, the Eagles are 14th in missed tackles. They've got 23 missed tackles in the first half of games. 
Second half, they're 30 to 35. So that was the big one. If you look at it like rush yards after contact, this goes to your earlier stat. Rush yards after contact per attempt, um, it's 18th in the first half, 29th in the second half. So a pretty mm. big drop, dropping from 18 to 29. So overall, tackling just has to get better. That's one of those things we talked about after those games. Like Detroit was like, yeah, like, can't miss those tackles. Yeah. So you got to make, make those tackles. Now, the one thing we talked about, and you brought this up, was, all right, well, what is the distance to go? Are they, are they just not doing as well on first and second down, and now it's third and short? This week against Dallas, that was absolutely the case. You go back, and I think they were one for five Dallas on third down in the first half, and it was a lot of third and ten, third and nine, third and eight. It was third and long. You go to the second half, it was uh, Zeke got a five-yard run on third and two. It was a lot of third and one, third and two, third and three. That was the case this week against Dallas. But over the course of the, of the season, that has not really been the case. The Eagles, looking at the numbers um, just thematically over the course of the season, the Eagles are kind of like middle of the pack in, in all areas. But what that then did was like, all right, well, what are the big differences in first half and second half? You've got to go down the rabbit. Everyone else had to go down the rabbit hole with me in the pit. So everyone's going on this podcast. I went to first half, second half. This was huge for me, C-Mac and Ben. No huddle plays, all right? The Eagles right now face 64 no-huddle plays in the second half of games. That is wide, wide, wide out in front. The second-place team is Kansas City with 48. Teams are going no-huddle. Teams are going tempo in the Mm. second half of games. Why is that? Because the Eagles have scored 112 points in the second quarter, and we talk about this every single week. Oh, they're blowing teams out in the first half. They've scored 112 in the first quarter, in the second quarter. That's more than 11 teams have scored in the entire season. The, the Cowboys have scored 110 points total in all of 2022. The Eagles have scored 112 Insane. in just the second quarter of games. So the Eagles are jumping out to these huge leads. They're blowing. They're uh, you know ex- having a huge first half performances. Teams are coming out in the second half. They're, they're going up tempo. They're trying to rush to the, you know, get as many plays in as possible. They're creating some explosives. We saw last week Dallas had some nice, well-executed plays, and they're creating some big ones. And then you have throwing the missed tackles, and I think that's what's now your, that's what gets you to this point where the third down defense is not as strong in the second half. Yeah, that plus 78-point differential in the first half is way out in front, Crazy. nearly 30 points more than the second-best team. So a lot of people say, well, are they not making those second-half adjustments? Well, after the first half, what adjustments? Why would you adjust? No question. So I know that's a big one. People like just kind of throwing that out. Well, we're not making the the proper in-game adjustments. But when things are going so well in the first half, not entirely sure what to adjust. There are some schematic elements that are different from the first half to the second half as they should be. Yep. Two high shells. Goes from 44% to 52%. Yep. Maybe sitting back a little, a little bit more. Four, a little more cover yep. six, both spikes. Light yep. boxes up to 78% from 61%. So when you're up multiple scores in your in the second half, where do you want to allocate your defensive resources to stop the run or to stop the pass with a lead? Personally, I'm going to stop the pass. Yeah, that's what the was saying earlier. So it leaves no yourself a little bit light against the run, which leaves yourself a little bit vulnerable against the run. And also some of those hurry-up situations also allude to vanilla coverages, schemes, things like that, that are a little bit easier to attack. You're, so. in, you're in hurry up. You're going to have a couple of ch- coverages. You're going to check to, hey, 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 we got to run to the line. Uh, here's what we're going to play. Good no call. question. Yep, good and point. at the very end of the day, the tape has limitations. Analytics has limitations. No there are no numbers or metrics or a special machine for the human condition. Yep. So while you can look at all this stuff, your mind is different up 20 points than you are up three points. There is no equation or formula to explain that. Yep. So you can go through all these analytic situations. What should you do in this game? And there's tons of data to speak for a decision. There's nothing that says, well, you got the left tackle, you know, the backup left tackle in, it's windy, the holder has a bad pinky, and your place kicker's groin's a little tight. 
There's no equation to factor into the human condition of this game. There's limitations to everything. So we can go all through these numbers, and believe me, it was a science lab this morning trying to <laughs> figure this out. Fran, Fran was going to and everyone. And at the end of the day, oh, was, it was very much, uh, what's the uh, what's the GIF with the... Um, with Charlie yeah, and, you know, God. yeah, trying to... The, Thank you. Uh, just trying to map out the big conspiracy theory. There may not be an answer. We're trying to obviously uncover some things and point some, you know, connect some dots. Yep. There also just may not be something to explain the difference in mentality playing with a lead versus a tight game. Yep. You're a different player, and you should be a different player. Um, and there's just not always something to point to or explain, but a lot of different metrics to look at. Fascinating first half, second half. Um, certainly glad they've come out on top on uh, these six yeah. these six games and these six second halves, but it's certainly fun to dive into. No doubt. We'll see, Mac. Uh, I think you had something that was along I'm a, these I'm lines I'm going to lighten the mood. Let's yeah, let, lighten the mood a little bit here. <laughs> and it's not that far down a rabbit hole here. So the Eagles looking at the offensive side of the ball now for the Eagles. According to Football Outsiders, their great DVOA metric, the Eagles' second-half offensive DVOA in a one-score games, okay, eight points. Second-half, one-score games. Second-half, one-score games. Offense is fourth-best in the NFL. What that speaks to me is, even though they may be getting out to these big leads and teams are coming back, the Eagles, and we saw this against Dallas with that 13-play touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, the Eagles find ways offensively to put the game away. They are executing in the clutch. They have this run game with the number one ranked rushing attack from last year, all intact. You know, obviously guys in and out of the lineup, but guys like Jack Driscoll, Suo Peta have stepped up in big ways this season for this team. But nonetheless, this offensive line, highly regarded as the best in football. You have a stable of running backs led by Miles Sanders. You have Jalen Hurts' ability as well. This rushing attack, this offense can get the job done. And this is something that you can do in September. October, and you can carry it as the winter months are going to come upon us as you get ready for a playoff push here. So that's something to me that's very encouraging. All right, maybe it's a bit of a small sample size nonetheless, but still, to me, it's the fact that the Eagles have shown that in the clutch that they have been able to execute offensively, and that's something that, you know, if a team is blowing out opponents and you don't have that adversity and you get into December and January and it's like we've never been in this situation before – the Eagles can say, look, we can go back to week six against Dallas. And we, we can go back to week five against Arizona where we had to move the ball down the field with 17 plays to get the game-winning field goal with a rookie kicker making his NFL debut. It's, it's the Eagles find ways to win each and every week, even if there's a little bit of adversity along the way. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And obviously that kind of presents itself um, you know, in that DVOA metric. Uh, ben, take us home. Our, our 10th stat here uh, for the show. And this is certainly a fun exercise. And when a team is rolling like the Eagles, <clears throat> excuse me, you could just, you know, spin the wheel and throw a dart at all these different metrics. It pain me not to talk about fourth quarter drives to win. Yep. Some just dominating drives and time controlling drives, 10 plus play drives, 11 personnel run game was something I really want to focus on with Zach Pascal involved now and AJ Brown, but got to give some credit to Jalen hurts as a passer right now, the highest yards per attempt between the numbers this season, mm. minimum hundred attempts the out there highest yards per attempt between the numbers. That's a big sample size. You don't that's, happen to have his numbers from last year, do you? I don't. Yeah, because that, that was the big area that everyone talked about. That's you know, the numbers of the hash, between yep. the hashes, hash to the number, that middle window where you're seeing a lot of those RPOs, the slants, the screens, a lot of times happen in that kind of window. Loves the seam passes, the got, got her, you know, down those hashes. But I really think it's speaking to his quarterback development, too. 
and throwing over the middle of the fields, which you look at his chart from last year, there were some tumbleweeds kind of rolling through the middle of the field. Was a little shy throwing those inbreakers in the, the middle read routes, but his timing, his rhythm, his accuracy, his anticipation, his speed of the game has all drastically improved from last year to this year. And I think you're seeing that not only with his down-to-down play, but in particular his throwing between the numbers, those in-breakers where your timing, accuracy, and anticipation is heightened. You have to check all those boxes <clears throat> Excuse me to throw into those windows of NFL defenses where those windows close and shut and they are lightning speed. And it's also a credit to the coaching staff. This playbook is focused. This playbook is narrowed. This playbook caters to what Jalen Hurts likes and doesn't like to do. And I think last year there was some figuring that out. So not only has he developed, I think the coaching staff is really catering and figuring out what makes him comfortable, what does he like to do, um, and not to mention the personnel helps too. a big AJ Brown type of guy, you know, who loves the inbreakers is a big hulking receiver out there to put his body between defensive backs over the middle of the field. But for every one of those on AJ, Devante catches one too. So I think it's a credit to literally the receivers hurts, the coaching staff throwing over the middle of the field. Very impressive. Ben, if fans were to go back to the week one edition previewing Dallas of this podcast, this was the stat I was bringing up is how would Jalen, our three and out, one of the items was how will Jalen Hurts attack the middle of the field? Because if you looked at the spray chart, very strong on the right side, mm-hmm. nah, not so strong on the left side. But like you said, the 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 window in the in the middle was open. And that was obviously an area that he needed to develop. So it's kudos to him for that development. And I love the point you make about the coaches because this is that narrative all we heard all offseason of what does it mean to have the same play caller for two years in a row? You know, largely the same offensive staff for two years in a row. This is the result of it right here. No question. This is the result right here where you get to have the comfortability, you understand what he likes, and you're able to work with him better and to be able to execute. And I know what fans may be thinking, uh, you know, it's all RPOs. It's a little college I promise for every RPO over the middle of the field, he hits a third down double slants where it's straight man coverage, waits for number two to clear and hits number one coming right behind him. Wasn't schemed up, wasn't off run action, wasn't an RPO or just saying either or with the will linebacker. That's big boy NFL football on third down. And another thing, just like the Miles Sanders, I was critical of Hertz as a passer, particularly in that area. He has blown me away. And you have to give credit where credit is due. Jalen Hurts, great season so far. Uh, that was probably, was that next gen? Yes, it was. Okay, so I'm looking at, I don't have next gen up. I've got uh, PFF up. And so I'm just looking at And credit uh, to next gen, up. PFF, all those oh, analytic no sites out there. We, we, they were, we were digging work. through all of it yeah. <laughs> over the course of I know of we didn't cite them on each stat here, but just collectively, uh, yes. credit to all those. So just looking at just all of last year and then comparing to this year. Last year, and the intermediate window between the hashes, so we'll say, I, I believe it's between uh, 10 and 20. Or no, yes, it's between 10 and 20 between the hashes. Jalen Hurts was uh, 15 of 24 for 240 yards and a 106 QB rating, all right? 240 yards and a 106 QB rating. Going to this year, he's already thrown for 235 in that area, so wow. just five yards short in, what, 11, 11 less games uh, with a QB rating of 141. Huge, huge jump. Uh, and it's not like, oh, yeah, it was a bunch of touchdowns. It's only one touchdown uh, right. from that area <laughs> of the field. So, again, uh, his uh, his efficiency in that area, to your point, Ben, uh, is, is spot on. It's a huge, huge jump, huge, huge development uh, you know, in his game. Ben so, was just doing the Bryce Harper face for those of you yes, Phillies fans. Game one. Who yeah, are game from, one. 
one of the NLCS. I was peeking so. over to his laptop as he was uh, crunching the numbers <laughs> to counter some of my stats there. I did, I did not make the reflection to last year uh, through the numbers here. It was just gave uh, some eye-popping, uh-huh. uh, eye-brow-raising kind of connections. Yeah, it's Kyle Schwarber hitting it uh, a record distance at Petco Park, uh, drawing the same reaction. Uh, well, guys, this was fun. This was a, an interesting little spin uh, to this segment. Uh, C-Mac, we, Ben, we'll talk to you both next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Well, great stuff there from both Ben and C-Mac. Really appreciate those guys jumping on uh, for a combined segment. I love getting all three of us uh, kind of talking shop there together like we do every day uh, off camera, but great to bring that to the microphone. Now, uh, real quick, always want to remind everybody, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to the show. If you can leave a rating there, really, really appreciate it. And if you want to leave us uh, a question, we will always answer it. And so Michael left a five-star review with a question saying, hey, keep up the good work this season. Safety Marcus Epps is exclusively assigned to the left side of the field, and safety C.J. Gardner-Johnson defends the right side. What do you believe is the schematic purpose of this? Is this totally random, or does their skill sets give a a specific advantage to the left-right assignment? So, Michael, it's a good question. Um, I will say it's not 100%. But it is most of the time. So we'll say, I think we can talk about it uh, in those terms. Marcus Epps, typically to the left side. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, typically to the right. Uh, and again, so when you get into some uh, deeper sub packages, uh, those guys will move around a little bit. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you, when you have a too high safety scheme, especially in the NFL, when you play with split safeties and, and that you're going to play that shell defense, those guys are going to be interchangeable. You need them to be able to do a little bit of everything. That might be covering a slot. Uh, it might be rolling down into the box, playing in the post, playing as a split safety player. All those different things you're going to ask a safety to do, you're going to need all of them to do it. It's not a pure free safety, strong safety situation where, hey, this guy's always going to play deep. This guy's always going to play down. You're going to ask those guys to do different things. So while Epps and CJ have different, you know, have a little bit of a different skill set from each other, both guys are asked to do a lot of the same things in the structure of this Eagles defense. And so when you have uh, two guys that have that skill set, that's obviously really important when you play this kind of scheme. Now, when you go down a level, when you go to the college level and the hash marks change, you have those wider hash marks. And so if the offense has the ball on the left hash, well, that means the right side of the field is super, super wide. So these teams that play shell, shell coverage in college, they're going to flop their safeties a little bit more often because there's just so much more space to the wide side of the field, to the field side. And so you'll see field and boundary safeties, field and boundary corners more likely in college than you will in, in, uh, in the NFL. But I think once you, get to the, once you get to the league, everything is essentially the same from left, right, left, left hash to right hash. So I think at the end of the day, uh, when you see a, a team that's going to play in this way and you're not going to match up corners and you're not going to try and, and play that way, well, that's what you're typically going to see. Safety is going to play left and right and kind of keep it that way. So, um, yeah, it, def- it certainly is by design, um, and it's, it's not an accident. It's a good, uh, it's a good uh, observation there um, from you, Michael. Really appreciate the question. Thanks so much to him, and thanks to everybody for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our Eagles podcast. That said, we've got one final clip we're going to throw to. We, even though it is the bye week, we still have an episode of Eagles Game Plan, a self-scouting episode uh, here on this week's show. So I'm going to toss it over. We've got some great analysis from Gabriella DiGiovanni, from Ike Reese, from Mike Quick, from Greg Cosell that due to the time constraints of that show, 30 minutes show, oh, I couldn't get everything into that program. So kept a little bit here for you. Here's that clip. 
Yeah, and I'm going to give Aaron Moorhead, the wide receivers coach, some love here. Last year, dealing with a lot of young players, trying to teach them the game at this level. And we saw the mental mistakes out there on the field, whether it was stepping out of bounds, not giving your quarterback enough room to throw you the ball on the outside in those deep plays. You watch these guys this year. I know A.J. Brown's a little bit more of a veteran, so he's excluded from this. But I mean, our younger players, you're not seeing those same sort of mental errors out there on the field. They've grown and matured at that position, and I love that they're making plays when they get the opportunity to make plays. Jalen Hurts is sitting back there like a point guard. He just needs to figure out where he needs to get the ball to and let his playmakers make plays. The addition of A.J. Brown has really helped these younger guys to mature even faster, having that veteran in the room. And by the way, that's one thing I've been really impressed with Sanders this year. I think he's showing more nuance and more detail as a runner in understanding how to play off blocks and move second-level defenders. But the important point is, as well as this offense has done throwing the ball at particular points this year, the foundation is still the run game. And we certainly have seen that in the last two, three games. So Greg highlighted that run game, but let's dig in a little bit deeper, guys. There's so many layers to this offense, especially when you account for the RPO game and the screen game. Mike, that's so much for a defense to handle. Well, for a defensive coordinator, I don't know how you teach your team to handle all of the different elements of the RPO game. Because once you think you figured it out, there's another layer. And we saw that in the game on Sunday night. Yeah. As long as this offensive line is doing their job up front, it's going to allow Jalen to really sit back there and make the defense wrong no matter what decision they make to try to defend. We saw that RPO play earlier. It took them forever to figure out that A.J. Brown was coming back across the formation. And then when they finally figured it out and they started jumping the flat route, you had a variation of it where Devontae was able to adjust his route. And now Jalen has another option there. The Eagles, I think, run the second most RPOs uh, in the NFL, they certainly are the best at it. I just don't, I don't, I don't see a way that you figure out how to slow this offense down as long as everyone's doing their job. When you're sitting in the booth, as I am, and you have to try and figure out what they're doing many times because his handwork is, is so precise. Sometimes you don't even know where the football is going. Sometimes Merrill's calling a play that's going this way and he's got the ball going in a different direction. The sleight of hand, the way that he's able to maneuver the football so that the defense doesn't know where it is, I think it's amazing. And it's also important when they use it, right? Shane Steichen, when they decide to go to the RPO game, I mean, listen, when you're talking third and short, fourth and short, you put the defense in a little bit of a quandary there as to what are we trying to defend, the run game or the passing game? What I love about this RPO game is that it's an extension of the run game as well. Those throws to the flats are just runs to the outside where you get your playmakers on the outside making plays. That is such a great point because we saw that in the game on Sunday night where the defense, they're expecting a ball that's going to run in the middle of the defense. But what does Jalen do? He fakes it in the middle, rolls out to the outside, and he's got an easy toss out into the flat. And he has the ability to run himself. Boom. <laughs> I mean, it's, just so many layers. It's pick yeah. so your poison layers. with That's this right. offense. Well, what is the defense going to do? Were they best going to deploy their best resources? Because you don't know what the Eagles are capable of on offense. And yeah. whatever they do. They're wrong. That's what the (laughs) RPO gives you as an offense. Yeah, and you look at the versatility of the offense, the ability to not only 
beat you through the air. I mean, they can hit you on the ground as well. It really does put a defensive coordinator in a tough position. You have to choose what are you going to be willing to give up, the run game or a big play over the top in the passing game. Talk about so many options on this offense. You have to talk about Dallas Goddard and his yards after the catch. I feel like when the ball's in his hands, the play is not over until the play is over. Well, in the defensive backs, you watch them when Dallas Goddard's <laughs> got the ball with a hit of steam. They're, they're not so aggressive to go and make that tackle because he will attack you. You know, he's going to be the hammer and not the nail and and go out and attack guys. Yeah, they call that making business decisions. I knew you were going to say that. I <laughs> so, knew you were going to say that. Mike is right, man. You see a lot of those DBs, they aren't necessarily getting in front of Dallas to make these tackles. They're trying to get him on the side or from behind to get him down on the ground. Well, you certainly have to marry the front with the back end, and that's what they're able to do here. Brandon Graham, as you said, great job getting the pressure. So Cooper Rush couldn't really step into that throw, couldn't get anything on it. But C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he played a fantastic game. To have these guys who are multiple guys, they can do things in the box, they can play the back end, they can play man coverage, that's what this defense is about. It's about these positionless players that can do so many things, and he certainly turns out to be one of those guys. And I love the fire that he brings to that defense. And the reason why that interception is my favorite play of C.J. Gardner-Johnson's is because he left the game earlier with what looked like to be a severe injury to his wrist or his hand, and he was able to come back in there. That shows the commitment he's made to his teammates of being out there, and it certainly is a great example of the toughness that he plays with. The multiplicity of that Eagles defense has been so successful so far this season, but how about that secondary, guys? Big play slay. James Bradbury, two interceptions for C.J. Garner-Johnson, which we saw earlier. Marcus Epps playing some of his best ball. Avante Maddox is back, and he's healthy. What do you think, Ike? I think we may have the best secondary in all of football. I I really do, especially through six weeks. I just do. I think the versatility which these DBs have shown, the ability to play press coverage, the ability to play off coverage, the ability to play man, zone, matchup. I think having guys like C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Epps, even though they may be our safeties, they have the ability to come down and play a little man coverage as a little bit of a DB. And then you throw Avante Maddox in there, who is probably the best nickel corner in all of football. It just allows Jonathan Gannon the freedom to really pass rush with just his guy guys up front because he has the confidence in the guys on the back end that they're going to plaster their wide receivers, they're going to play assignment football, and they're going to play complementary football back there. We've shown through countless examples through the first six games where you can see the communication with the guys on the back end, how beneficial it is to them, where they're passing off routes, um, they don't get mental errors back there, and the fact that we lead the league in takeaways. It's all, it's all a big part of it. <laughs> they're, they're not making mistakes back there. You've, you said it. Their assignment sound. Marcus Epps, I think he's playing some of the best football I've ever seen a safety play. He does it all. I love the compliment of these guys. The play that Slay made where he undercut the route against the Cowboys, the interception, yep. you don't get much better than that. But you know Slay can do that. He can lock down your best receiver. I'm so impressed with James Bradbury on the other side. He's one of the smartest guys at the position. He understands his weaknesses. You'll hardly ever see him allow a wide receiver to get on top of him. He stays close to his body, doesn't let that guy have much room when he's trying to get down the field, get on top of him. He just understands a whole lot about the game. He reminds me of Herm Edwards. 
I played with Herm Edwards. He was one of the smartest DBs on the field. That's why he lasted so long. Bradbury understands route concepts. He understands and studies receivers. It's one of the reasons why he's such an effective player. And I tell you, you almost don't even know that he's out there, right? I mean, some of his numbers versus the opposing team's receivers, he has an argument of being the best cornerback in football himself. We got to come up with a name for him, some sort of silent assassin. (laughs) I mean, we got a lot of personality in that secondary. So, and he fits in great because he's the one that – this calm, mm-hmm. yes, he doesn't say a whole lot. But my goodness, if you throw the football in 24's area, good luck. Good luck, yeah, <laughs> good good luck coming luck. up with a completion. Well, well, we know that great defenses, any of them you look at, there are outstanding players at every level. On the defensive line, at that second level, the linebacker level. We haven't talked about Kazir White. He's been phenomenal all season long. And certainly on the back end of the defense, this is a very good defense. And Jonathan Gannon has a lot to work with. What's the biggest difference in this defense from last year to this year? Is it the new additions? Is it the ability to create turnovers? What is it? Oh, yeah. Eric, you know... No offense to anybody that was playing on the defensive side of the ball last year. But let's face it, there's been an upgrade in talent on yes. that side of the football. For and sure. that has allowed the other talent that remained here from last year to really flourish. So when I look at how Fletcher Cox is having somewhat of a resurgent year, yeah. I look at what Marcus Epps is able to do back there in that secondary. Not saying that he isn't a good football player himself, but when you have that type of talent around you, it's going to allow his talent to come to the forefront as well. And like Mike mentioned Kaiser White, one of my favorite backers, and TJ Edwards. This this dude is a football magnet. He's <laughs> everywhere. So when you bring this collection of players together, I think it really does raise the level of play of the other guys. I was a role player when I played here. I had the benefit of playing with Jeremiah Trotter, Brian Dawkins, Troy Vincent, Pretty Bobby Taylor, yeah. Hugh Douglas. <laughs> yeah. Those guys raised my level of yes. talent. So when you get a chance to play with that type of talent, man, it's, it's great. Great stuff there from the Eagles game plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week after the bye.